But uh, it is a joy and a delight to be back again in Moody'sburn, New Beginnings Church, to do a little series of Bible studies. And I do trust that as we progress through these messages, that God in his graciousness will meet with us and uh, indeed bless us. Now, I want you to turn with me this evening to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 9. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and we're just going to read two verses, verse 6 and verse 7. Isaiah, chapter 9, and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. After the Lord Jesus uh, rose triumphantly from the dead, he made a number of appearances over a period of 40 days to establish beyond all doubt that he had really risen from the dead and was truly alive and sometimes he would appear to individual people like Peter and James and to Mary Magdalene and to others and then at times he would appear to little groups of people the twelve disciples and then on occasion to a great company of over 500 people who actually saw him risen from the dead but I believe that one of the most wonderful appearances that the Lord made was to uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were downcast, they were discouraged, they were dispirited. The whole bottom of their world had fallen out because their Lord and their Saviour had been crucified and it would seem that there was no hope and as they were making the little journey from Emmaus from Jerusalem about seven miles our Lord Jesus appeared to them and what an encounter that must have been as he walked with the two disciples one was called Cleophas and some believe the other one was his wife And as they walked towards Emmaus, their home, the Lord Jesus appeared to them and talked with them. And you know, dear friends, he gave to those two disciples one of the greatest Bible studies that has ever been given. And it's no wonder that after he had uh, disappeared from them, they said to themselves, did not our heart burn within us as he spoke to us and as he opened to us the scriptures? Notice first of all that they had the greatest teacher. 
It says he expounded unto them in all the scriptures. You can't get a greater teacher than the Lord. So they had the greatest teacher. And then, of course, they had the greatest book. Because Jesus began at Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophet both major and minor. So they had the greatest book. Not only the greatest teacher and the greatest book, but they had the greatest subject, the things concerning himself. And you can't get a greater subject than that, the things concerning himself. And beginning at Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and into the major and minor prophets, the Lord Jesus would stop and he would comment on the different quotations in those books with regard to himself. And I have no, no doubt in my mind that when he came to the prophecy of Isaiah, he would point out chapter 7 concerning his great virgin birth, born of the blessed Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost, and born of Mary. No earthly father, God was his father. And then he would point out in chapter 61 of Isaiah, his great ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the glad tidings and so forth. And then in chapter 11, he would, he, would, he would linger there concerning his second coming in which our Lord Jesus is going to come the second time and going to reign triumphantly for 1,000 years on this planet Earth. Go into chapter 53, who hath believed our report and would point out the messianic sufferings. Of the Saviour, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And I have no doubt that when he came to chapter 9 of Isaiah, he would point out these wonderful titles. His name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And he would say to them, those are my names, given to Isaiah 700 years before I was even born in Bethlehem of Judea. And the Lord willing, over the weeks that lie ahead, we are going to have a look at these wonderful and these precious names of your Lord and of my Lord. And we start this evening by thinking of the first one, which is the name or the title, Wonderful. Now, you must remember, dear friends, that when you come to names in Scripture, uh, that they were not given as a means of identification. You have a name, I have a name. And when you were born, whenever it was, uh, you were given a name, maybe one or two Christian names, as well as your surname. But uh, names in Scripture were not just given as means of identification. Names in Scripture sometimes spoke of certain characteristics 
of the person who bore that name. Uh, Take for one or two examples, take the name Adam, the first man. What does it mean? Well, Adam means in the Hebrew, uh, earthly. Because Adam's body was made of the dust of the earth, and God breathed into him the breath of life. But his physical body was made from the earth. His name was Adam, which signifies earthy. Take, for example, Abraham, that great character. What does Abraham mean? It signifies father of many nations. That's the meaning of the great name Abraham. And then take the name Isaac. What a lovely name that is, Isaac. Now what does Isaac mean? Isaac simply means laughter. Now why was that? Well, when little Isaac was born, his mother was 90 years of age. And his father was a hundred years of age. Now, biologically speaking, humanly speaking, he shouldn't been there. Because uh, uh, Sarah, which gave birth to Isaac, she was, to put it very bluntly, past it. But God performed a miracle in her womb. And she gave birth to Isaac. Now can you imagine Abraham pushing the pram down the streets with uh, Sarah, 90 years of age, probably on a Zimmer, if they had Zimmers in those days. And lo and behold, there's a pram. And they would look in to see we Isaac. And of course they would say, well now, what's his name? And of course, there was only one name they could give him, and that was laughter. Because when they looked at Isaac, no doubt they had a good laugh. Because humanly speaking, biologically speaking, he shouldn't be there. But God performed a miracle in the, in the womb of Sarah. So Isaac means laughter. And then, of course, the name Peter. Any men in the meeting called Peter the right? We've got any Peters? Well, if, you, if your name is Peter, you would know, of course, that Peter from the Greek is uh, uh, Petrus. And when the Lord said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, he wasn't referring to uh, Peter, because the, the, the word for rock in the, in the Greek is Petra, whereas the word for Peter is Petrus, two different Greek words. So Peter means a little stone. That's the meaning of the word, the name Peter. Uh, Paul signifies the little one. Not very tall, but the little one. Now, dear friends, if those things apply to mere humans, like Adam and Abraham and Isaac and and Peter and Paul, then how much more does it apply when we speak of the Son of God himself? 
Now, if I were to ask you this evening, hands up, those of you who want to know God, no doubt, all your hands would go up. Well, let me give you a little hint tonight. Do you want to know God? Here's how you can do it. Get to know the names of God, or the names of the Lord Jesus. Because every name and every title the Lord has is an insight, a revelation, a manifestation of some aspect of his glory. Do you know that our Lord Jesus in the Bible has 252 names and titles? What a collection. Have you got 252 names? Of course you haven't. But the Lord has. And each one of those names is a revelation, an insight concerning his wonderful and glorious person. Now why is that? Well, why do we have that multiplicity of names and titles? For the simple reason. It's not possible for one name or two names or a dozen names. The Spirit of God has taken 252 names and he has revealed something of the beauty the wonder, the marvel of the Lord Jesus. And tonight we're going to have a look at some of the 252 names. Now tell me, have you ever went into a jeweler shop? I know you people in Moody's, but you've got plenty of money. Go into a jeweler shop and you ask to see a lovely diamond. And the man very carefully puts it in your hand, a lovely diamond. And what do you discover when you take that diamond in your hand? You would discover this. That that diamond has been cut. There are sides to it. And it is only as you take the diamond in your hand and look at the facets and look at the sides that you can appreciate the beauty and indeed the value of the diamond. And when he tells you the price of the diamond, you say, well, I thank you ever so much. Would you please put it back? Even too expensive for the people in Moody's Burden. And what we're doing, dear friends, over the weeks that lie ahead, we're taking this wonderful diamond of our Lord Jesus, the facets, the aspects, the sides, and we're going to turn it over in our minds. And as we do so, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and will reveal the Christ of God to the glory of God. So that after these five weeks have come and gone, we shall leave these meetings not saying what a great preacher we had, God forbid. But we shall leave these meetings saying what a wonderful Christ we have, what a wonderful Saviour. One worth getting to know and to love and serve. So we start this evening and we're going to think of the first one. His name shall be called Wonderful. What a lovely title that is. Lovely name. His name shall be called Wonderful. We take it in our hands this evening and we see that it has got three facets, three sides. 
And we're going to see this evening that he was wonderful when he was here upon earth. That's the past tense. Then we're going to see that he is wonderful today in the present tense. And then we shall conclude this evening, we shall say that he shall be wonderful in the future when we see him in all his glory. First of all then, he was wonderful when he was here on earth. And my dear friends, you can't read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, without realising the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He was someone special. He was someone of a kind. There never was anyone like him before, and there shall never be anyone like him ever afterwards. He is unique. One of a kind. The Son of God incarnate. And as you read these lovely Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you find that, first of all, he was wonderful in his thoughts. And this takes us into his mind. What was the mind of Jesus like? Tell me, friends, would you like your thoughts to be put on this screen this evening? Of course you wouldn't. I don't know what you're thinking, but God does. And no doubt you would like your thoughts at times to be put on a screen. They would be sinful. They would be corrupt. They would be lustful. Because we are mere humans. But when you think of the mind of Jesus Christ, that mind was pure. It was holy. It was undefiled. And the Bible says that even the thought of foolishness is sin. And there was never a foolish thought that entered the mind of our wonderful Lord. Here's an example of his thoughts that have been verbalized. He says, though in the volume of the book it is written of me, I come to do thy will, O my God. The mind of Jesus was wonderful. It was pure. It was undefiled. It was holy. And his thoughts could be put on a screen without sin and defilements. What's your mind like, brother and sister, this evening? Is it pure? Is it undefiled? Because remember the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What a standard that is, light. A mind like his. And then, of course, he was wonderful in his words. Oh, look at him as he was teaching and preaching. They sent officers to arrest him on one occasion. They came back empty-handed and the scribes and Pharisees said, Why have you not brought him? And here's what they said. Never man speak like this man. They were flabbergasted. They were amazed. Never man speak like this man. 
And when he preached at Nazareth, you remember, it says, they were amazed at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And then, do you remember, after he preached this great sermon in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, it says these words. The multitudes were amazed and astonished because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When they listened to Jesus Christ preaching, they sensed the note of authority. Now why does Matthew say, and not as the scribes? Well, for a simple reason. If you've been living on our Lord's Day and you went to the synagogue, here's what you'll have heard. Up would stand the rabbi, and when he spoke, he would say, when I, Rabbi so-and-so says this, or Rabbi so-and-so says that, they were referring to the great rabbinical teachers. But when Jesus came along, he never said, Rabbi so-and-so says this. Here's what it says. But I say unto you, the note of authority in his voice. Wonderful in his words. And then, of course, wonderful in his claims. Now, in a few weeks' time, we shall be dealing with the deity of our Lord Jesus. Very God of very God. And if I were to take that subject up this evening, one of the ways I would approach would be simply this. The very claims of Christ is a reference to his deity. Now, what would you think of me if I said to you when I, I am the bread of life? We stand the show from Wisher. I am the bread of life. You would think time for the, coat, the men in the white coats to come and take away. What would you say if I said when I, I am the light of the world? If you follow me, you shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What would you say of me? He's bonkers. If I said I am the resurrection and the life, what would you think of me? What would you say if I said I am the good shepherd? These, my friends, are some of the claims that Jesus made. I didn't say them. I couldn't say them. But he said them. They were his claims. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. Wonderful in his claims. And let me assure you, every one of those claims is authentic. And is wonderfully true. And then of course he was wonderful in his miracles. Have you ever heard of H.G. Wells? The author? H.G. Wells? He's the one that wrote the book The Time Machine. Is that ring a bell? Time Machine? That was a wonderful scientific invention. It's just um, fiction of course. This machine, and you get into the machine, and you get into the machine, and you could turn the dial either to the future, or you could turn it back to the past. Let's imagine getting into H.G. Wells' time machine. And what we're going to do, we're going to the machine, and we'll turn the dial back 2,000 years. So we're travelling back in time 2,000 years, and we're going to mingle with the crowds, and we're going to see this wonderful Lord. 
He's famous. He's moving about. The multitudes are following him. And what do we find? We find here's someone who lays his hand upon blind people. And immediately they see. He places his hands on deaf people and they hear. He cleanses the leper which were incurable in our Lord's day. He goes to the paralytic, those sick of the palsy, and he gives them new mobility. And he even raises the dead. Lazarus dead four days, brought him back from the dead. What a miracle worker this is. And there was no sickness beyond his control. There was no disease that he couldn't heal. He was the master of every situation. Miracles. Think of that time crossing the Sea of Galilee. Fast asleep he was. And suddenly this great storm arises. The wind's howling. The waves beat into the ship. And remember, these were experienced fishermen. And they are terrified of this storm. And they woke the master. And they said, Master, do you not care? We're, we're going to die. And he arose. And the Bible says he rebuked the winds. And said to the, said to the sea, Peace be calm. Now, sometimes I have to read some of the, the modernistic teaching with regard to these, these miracles of our Lord. And of course, uh, uh, being modernists, they wouldn't accept the supernatural. And so they try and explain things in the natural. And of course, they say, when I, uh, the Lord really didn't do that. No, that, that's, just, that's just myth. That really didn't happen. What happened was this. Uh, he just calmed the storm in their breast. Take, for example, the feeding of the 5,000. And of course, modernists would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't expect us to believe that sort of thing. We live in the 21st century. You can't believe us expect to believe that someone took five loaves and a few fish, a wee boy's lunch, and he fed 5,000 people. Come on, get real. That didn't happen. What happened was this, was this. When the Lord took the five loaves and the few fish, that was the signal for everybody else to take out their packed lunch. And to have a lovely meal. Now isn't that a wonderful way of explaining it? You see, if you deny the supernatural, you've got to try and explain things in the natural. But my dear friends, that's rubbish. Jesus took literally five loaves. And two little fish, a little boy's lunch. And he fed the multitudes. Why? Because he was God. And only God can do those things wonderful in his thoughts wonderful in his words wonderful in his claims wonderful in his miracles but he was also wonderful in his greatest work and that was when he died for us on the cross of Calvary <coughs> he uttered seven signs on the cross between 9 o'clock in the morning, 3 in the afternoon, our time, 6 hours on the cross. And during those 6 hours he uttered 7 saints. Do you know what they are? I hope you do. And one of the saints was this. 
coming towards the end as the darkness lifted. He cried with a loud voice, It is finished. What was finished? Your salvation and my salvation. And there's nothing you can add to it, and there's nothing you can take from it. It's finished. It's settled. It's sealed for time and for eternity. Don't introduce your good works or your church going, oh no. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. So not left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So he was wonderful when he was here upon earth. We could also add he was wonderful when he rose again from the dead. And what a miracle that was. We've just celebrated a few weeks ago Easter. And you know, I can't understand this. The church, have you ever noticed this? At Easter time, we all get excited. We sing the great hymns, the Easter hymns, up from the grave he rode, and we get all excited for the few days of Easter. And then after Easter's over, we settle down again. Until Easter comes again, and up we get all excited. My dear friends, the early church lived continually in the power of the Lord's resurrection. It wasn't just something historically that happened. They were rejoicing every day that Jesus was alive from the dead. But not only was he wonderful one here upon earth, but let me come to the present tense. He is still wonderful to his people today. Why? Because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. You change, I change. The world changes, society changes, governments change. And whether we like it, you're getting old. I'm getting old every day. You might like it. Uh, if you're a man, you might put on the Grecian 2000 to try and uh, soften the, if you've got white hairs. And if you're a lady, so you maybe try to put on the, the cosmetics to er- eradicate the wrinkles. Still there. We're all getting old. But here's someone that never ages. Our Lord Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's what he said to John in the Isle of Patmos. Poor John, exiled, ostracized on the Isle of Patmos. But one Lord's day, the Lord appeared and said, John, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And have the keys of death and of Hades. And to those of us who know him and love him, he is wonderful, is he not? Did I hear an amen? Amen. I don't think so. I should repeat it. To those of us who know him and love him, he is wonderful. Ah, that's better. You're waking up. (laughs) He is wonderful. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? I think of this for a few minutes, friends. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we say, now, wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you talking about? When Paul wrote that, he was a Christian for at least 30 years. 
Since the Lord saved on the road to Damascus, till he wrote that to the church of Philippi, he'd been a Christian for 30 years. And yet after 30 years, he says, this is my passion. This is my great interest that I may know him. Now notice he did not say that I may know about him. Oh no, that I may know him. And there's a big difference. I know about the Prime Minister. <coughs> Lives in 10 Downing Street. But he never consults me about the economic situation. Never rings me up. And I know about the Queen. She lives in Buckingham Palace. But you know, she's never asked me to one of our garden parties. Isn't that a shame? Look what she's missing. You see, I know about the Queen. I know about the Prime Minister. And dear Christian, listen very carefully. Do not be content just to know about him. Get to know him personally. And Paul says, that's my passion. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection surging, flowing through my body and life. Now I'm going to say something and may shock you. I sometimes do this from time to time to shock people. Do you know there are many churches and they worship the Bible? Oh you say, is that right? Oh yes. They worship the Bible. My dear friends, that is idolatry. We do not worship the Bible. We preach it. We believe it. We teach it, but we don't worship the Bible. And there are many churches, and they just are content to stop at the Bible, the Word of God. Now, do you know that lovely hymn, Break Thou the Bread of Life to Be? Is that familiar? Break Thou the Bread of Life. What I One of the verses says these words, and here's what the writer, who was a woman, and here's what she said. Listen very carefully. Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. You see, the Bible is a means to an end, and not the end in itself. And there are too many Christians, and they've just got their heads full of theology and full of Bible, full stop. That is not God's plan for your life, brother and sister. You've got to get beyond the sacred page. The Spirit of God will take the Word of God to reveal the Christ of God. But you've got to get beyond the sacred page. Because this Bible is a means to an end. And as you do that, you'll find that more and more and more, He's going to become wonderful to you. And very precious. Now then, now you brought a packed lunch, haven't you? <laughs> we could have a cup of tea and have a break and I could continue on. So he was wonderful when here upon earth, that's the past tense. He is wonderful today in the 21st century because he's a living saviour. And as we get to know him, dwell in his presence, read his word which leads us to him, we're going to find that he is wonderful to us. But then let me say thirdly, he shall be wonderful when he returns in glory. 
One old bishop, a modernist bishop, was asked, do you believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus? And he said, no. And uh, he was asked, why do you not believe in the second coming of Christ? Well, the bishop said, he's never left. Did I of the resurrection? Dead and gone. And when a person's dead and gone, he's not coming back again. Ah, friends, these verses in Isaiah have a twofold application and fulfillment. Some of them was, has been already fulfilled. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That took place in, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That's the past, that's history. But it also says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. You see, this whole world of ours has known dictatorship. Think of Hitler, think of Stalin. It has known democratic government. We are democratic elected, but this whole world has never known theocracy. It's known dictatorship, it's known democracy, but not theocracy. And there's a day coming in which this wonderful Lord Jesus is going to return. And for 1,000 glorious years, he's going to reign on this very planet Earth. Then the government shall be upon his shoulder. Then we shall have justice. Then we shall have peace when our Lord Jesus reigns, where the Son doth a successive journey run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and rain no more. And I've got news for you. We are going to reign with him. Will you be in the government? Cabinet? I don't know. But uh, if we suffer with him, the Bible says, we shall also reign with him. What a day glorious day that's going to be when our Lord Jesus on this very planet earth takes his place as earth's rightful ruler and the government upon his shoulder I must say hallelujah what a saviour so he's wonderful here when he was here on earth he's wonderful today in the 21st century to those of us who are Christians we know something from day to day, just how wonderful and how precious he is. And then he shall be wonderful when he returns in glory and rapture. Now the Lord willing, dear friends, we're going to have a look at the second title, Counselor. And uh, that's going to be a wonderful subject when we think of, of a Counselor. But let me just summarize this by saying this before I sit down. When we think of the word or the title wonderful, that takes care of the dullness of life. When we think of the counselor, that takes care of the decisions of life. When we think of the mighty God, that takes care of the demands of life. The everlasting Father takes care of the dimensions of life. And the Prince of Peace, that takes care of the disturbances of life. Christ is all, 
and in all. I think it was in the late 20th century, a dear old woman lived in poverty. I think it was in the slums of Glasgow as it was in those days. And here's what she says. I have Christ. What want? I, Lord. You see, friends, when you've got him, you've got everything. But if you haven't got him, you can be a millionaire and have absolutely nothing. Now, isn't Jesus wonderful? Aren't you glad you came this evening? Not because I'm here, but because of our wonderful and our glorious Lord Jesus.